Hello, this is Gidon Rothstein, and this is Perak Kafhe of Zefer Mishlei, chapter 25 of the book of Mishlei. We are really in our last full cycle of the Mefarshim we've been studying, because uh, after Perak Kafchet, which would be four more Perakim, there's only three left, so we're not going to have another full cycle. Even then, it's a mistake, because I hadn't realized this before, but Rabbi Yonah does not have any full commentary on the upcoming chapter, so we're sort of done with him. We should have bid him farewell. I apologize that we did not. Maybe we'll have to review his thoughts at a later, at another time. But in any case, this chapter, this cycle, we'll have to substitute the Malbim for uh, Rabbi Yonah. But today's commentator is Rashi in Perkhaf Hay, and he will have some interesting things to share with us. So let us plunge in. These two are proverbs or analogies or whatever the right word for Mishlei is of Shlomo, which Mechizkiyahu and his people uh, copied down. Rashi here says that when Mechizkiyahu became king, this is well known, that he placed student studies of Torah. He rejuvenated the study of Torah. And he Rashi points out the Gemara and Chelek tells us that Chizkiyahu managed to get it to be that they checked throughout the land from Dan until Be'er Shava, the uh, borders of Israel at the time. So from all the way to the north to all the way to the south, they didn't find anybody who didn't know Torah, who wasn't learned in Torah, and they Ha'atiku. So what's Ha'atiku? They copied it down. That does seem to imply that they copied it down because it wasn't known. Rashi, however, says Hechaziku, that they strengthened it so that people knew these things. In other words, although we saw in the last chapter, the Vilna Gon was comfortable with the idea that Mishnah contains other people's proverbs, Rashi seems to be somewhat uncomfortable with the idea that they were lost or they didn't get known or they were edited or anything like that, which is what the simplest reading of the words would be, that Chizkiyahu Melek also, especially if you're going to accept that there are other people's Mishalim in the book of Mishlei, you could say these are also Mishalim, the Chizkiyahu, especially in Rashi's scenario. They went, they rejuvenated Torah, and along the way, they found more Mishalim of, Sh- of Shlomo HaMelech, so they put them into the Sefer. But Rashi doesn't read it that way. He reads it as Kechaziku, they strengthened these. These were the set of Mishalim which had not been well observed and well followed, and they strengthened them. So, Pazuk Bet, Kavod Elokim Hastir Davar, Kavod Melachim Chakor Davar. It is the honor of God to hide something, where it is the honor of Melachim, of kings, to investigate it. Rashi understands this to be separating, differentiating between those rules that Hashem makes and those rules that people make. So in Hashem's case, Rashi points out, When it comes to the fullest understanding, is not only the prophecy at the beginning of Yechezka, which a long time ago we, we being me, and those of us who have listened to these taped on Yechezka, studied together a little bit, pointed out there that Chazal are very clear one should not study those things. Masebrishit, uh, it's less so. There is more room to allow study of them, although it's also restricted information. So says, that's what has is, that it's the honor of God not to fully study these things because um, they're not, they're assumed to be esoteric knowledge. It's not available to everybody and that's not appropriate for everybody. So Rashi says, yeah, that's, that's Kvod Elohim. But Kvod Chachmelachim, so that would be either the rules that actual kings make, or the rules that Chachamim made when they made Siyagim la Torah, when they made boundaries for the Torah, that you should study and you should analyze and you should investigate. Since they are made by humans, they are open to human logic and understanding, and you should try to find the reasons and work on them. Now, even there, I assume Rashi would say that even if you don't find the reason, you shouldn't uh, refrain from observing them, but, but that which is created by humans, I think Rashi is saying, is amenable to human logic and therefore should be studied. But when it comes to Masev Merkava and Masev Rashid, and then Rashi adds in, and also the Chukim of the Torah. So many people say Chukim are those laws of the Torah that don't have any reason, but Rashi doesn't say that. Rashi says here at least, Chukim 
and dvarim shasatan mikadreig avahim, and things that the satan uh, sort of attacks to try to weaken our observance of them, such as akilat kazir, eating pig, or kile hakerem nad, combining species in an orchard, or shatnez, Rashi gives those as the examples of things, in you shouldn't look into them, you have to just say, this is the decree of the king, meaning those were areas of halacha that apparently Rashi, and in Rashi's time, and Rashi has sources that say it too from the Jashim, that these were areas where, that when non-Jews would say, well, why are you keeping that? The Jews would have no good answer. So that's kvod elokim haster davar. So Rashi too, in a different way, a slightly different way, Rashi too adopts the understanding that there are areas of Halakha and areas of understanding of God that are not amenable to us, to our study, to our learning them, especially not with Amehaaretz, as we'll see later in the chapter, especially not with those who are unlearned. And therefore we should hide them and we shouldn't deal with them in, at least in public and in private with great restrictions, understanding that they may be out of the, outside of our ability to understand them. When you include Maaseb Reshitin, that just as a comment on today, when you include Maaseb Reshitin, that, that means, and this is something that I've heard, I've heard Clearly Orthodox Jews not understand. That means that we need to understand that even as science advances and advances, so scientists speak as if all of even ordinary physics, all of even ordinary biology will be one day understood by us, will be one day completely an open book to us. And I think that we're supposed to understand that it's not true. We're supposed to have a little humility about that. Especially since as science goes further and further, things that scientists once rejected become turn out to be true, and expectations turn out to be completely overturned, and you're trying to say, oh, wow, yeah, now we know this, but they continue with the belief that they will one day know everything. So that's uh, part of understanding Maseb Rishit properly and appropriately, is that it's not true, that we will understand more and more, perhaps, that Hashem will let us see and open our eyes to more and more, but that Maseb Rishit as well is something that we can't fully understand. Pasuk Gimel, Shamayim Larum Va'aret La'omek, V'leiv Melachim Ein Cheker. Uh, the heavens above, like the heavens in their height, like the earth in its depth, is the mind of kings, ain cheker, unfathomable. So, Rashi says unfathomable, just meaning that uh, you don't understand them, especially like the, some of the laws they make and some of the wars they fight, we don't understand. You have to give our hearts to understand them. And even though if all of the tongues were to speak about them and all the hands were to write about them, we couldn't write everything about them. But nonetheless, that is, he's, he's so, even though the Pasuk is saying we won't understand it, he's saying, yet we have to try to understand it. So it's not that we can succeed with human things and therefore we should try. And we can't succeed with Hashem and therefore we have to cover it over. It's that Hashem's understanding of the world and Hashem's Gzerot and Hashem's Kukim and Hashem's uh, creation of the world and Hashem's metaphysics, all of that is so far outside of our range or is so different from our range that we have to not even do it in public at all. Whereas when it comes to kings, we may fail to fully understand them, but we, but the endeavor is appropriate and proper and should be done. Pasuk Dalat HaGosigim Mikasev Ayotel of Keli. Then Pasuk goes with that. So HaGosigim Mikasev in Pasuk Dalat literally means taking the blemishes, the dross having been separated from the silver, a vessel emerges from the smith, meaning that when you burn off silver, you don't let it out of there until... You've gotten the sigim out of it, and then remove the wicked from the king's presence, and his throne will be established in justice. The so Rashi reads the two psukim together and saying, just like Soraif, uh, uh, a person whose job it is to uh, to remove the impurities from silver, won't let it out until all the impurities are removed. So too, 
Now, remember, Pesach Hay says, Hagol Rashalik Nimelech, removing the evildoers from before a king. V'yikon v'said the Kiso, then his seat will be established. But Rashi says it, instead of focusing on the king as, Kach ein tzibur niftarim me'onesh, ad sheyotziu mitocham harishaim v'yastubahem din. So to a community, doesn't remove itself from punishment, doesn't save itself from punishment until they remove from their midst all of the evildoers and they do justice to them. So that these psukim for Rashi, for the psukim and for Rashi are saying that it's not just that we're required not to be Rishaim ourselves, but we have a communal obligation to find a way to remove Rishaim from our midst. And how you remove Rishaim is difficult to understand, but you have to at least recognize them, I say, would certainly be a first step. Recognize who they are and understand that these are people who are different from us. So that's a hard question because I don't want to claim that any of us in particular are better than any of the others of us in particular. So you have to find what the line is between Rishaim who need to be removed and Rishaim who are just of us and we would like to, we would like to all become better Jews and better people and work on those things. So what is the line of Rishaim? So Rashi, he doesn't define it. That would be a discussion certainly for another time, but it's an issue to be aware of. In, within our community, whatever our OUR is, within each person's community, who are the Rishaim and who are the people who are just ordinary sinners like the rest of us and we're all trying together to become better and better. But whoever the Rishaim are, so certainly if somebody in a community was trying to break the boundaries of orthodoxy on some issue, pick an obvious issue rather than a controversial one, let's say you have a community, nobody drives in that community on Shabbos, nobody violates Shabbos, and all of a sudden somebody says, I want us to open our parking lot, allow ourselves to drive to Shul on Saturday mornings, on Shabbat mornings, that might be somebody who we would define as a Rashab in the terms of we need to protect the community from having him as part of this person as part of the community because uh, because they're trying to break a boundary. That's a whole different issue than if they're not yet understanding observance, then you might try to make them and try to bring them to tshuva, etc. Don't pray, don't exalt yourself in the king's presence, don't stand in the place of nobles. So try to make your honor so clear before somebody who's greater than you. So Pasuk Zayin that says, Because it's better if they say, Oh, come up to us. In other words, you don't push yourself forward. They bring you up. Rather than them lowering you down, you're before a Nadib, before a rich person, a generous person who sees you and says, You don't belong here. So, so instead of pushing yourself forward with the risk of being shot down, the Pasuk is saying, You know, wait and let them bring you forward. This is an issue I think... Uh, in our times, where self-promotion is assumed to be necessary and vital in certain situations, that runs counter, where our common, our current ethos seems to run counter to what Mishle is saying. Mishle seems to be sort of saying, just let things happen and don't push yourself forward and it'll all happen. That would involve certainly a faith in Hashem working out the world in a way that perhaps we no longer are able to understand and to see, but that's what it seems to be, that rather than pushing an idea and trying to publicize an idea and trying to put it together, uh, we should just sort of let the idea happen. Certainly that was the way in many ways of the Gedolim of Torah, uh, but it's not the way, let's say, of uh, Freud. You know, if you read books about Freud, Freud actually actively tried to propagate his ideas. Um, Darwin, perhaps less so, he published a book, but then I don't know if he was the self-promoter involved. So it's a, just a, an issue and a question, certainly Mendel, who later on became genetics, did not promote himself, and eventually the world got around to understanding his ideas and seeing his ideas, but uh, it's an interesting question. In Sukkim Vav and Zion, how much should we push ourselves and how much should we let things happen? So the ordinary word, anyway, it's an idea, it's a question. 
It's certainly a question where then people are trying to advance within a business. Uh, if they don't push themselves at all, they won't get noticed, and then they don't get the, to advance. So maybe that's better because their character is not misshaped by the attempts of self-promotion. In any case, I'll take Taylor in my hair. Excuse me. Um, take your don't go out to join a battle quickly. Do not uh, do, be vented rashly in a quarrel. Think of what will affect you in the end when your fellow puts you to shame. Don't you know? Don't get involved in fights so quickly because what happens in the end is you're going to come to a situation that you don't understand. You don't know what to do about it, and you're going to the the outcomes of a fight aren't always clear, and therefore you're going to be in trouble. And then when you are in a fight, you have to and you have to try to reprimand, admonish somebody else. Make sure, Rashi says, while you're fighting, we would say today, to fight cleanly. And so fight cleanly here is defined as don't reveal their secrets. So Rashi says, what does that mean, their secrets? I could imagine many things that were their secrets. Rashi says, don't mention, don't remind him of negative things about his forefathers, who died, that not everybody knows. So for Rashi, is embarrassing things about them that not everybody knows, and that aren't relevant anymore. So if you're in the process of admonishing him, you're apparently bringing out things that perhaps not everybody knows, but you're admonishing him about them, they actually seem to think maybe you can bring them out because you're in the middle of admonishing him, and you're in the middle of a fight, and you have to try to help this person understand that they're doing the wrong thing. But when it comes to things about their forefathers who have died, and therefore it's not relevant, meaning they're still alive, Rashi almost seems to imply that that might be relevant or relevant factors to bring up in this fight because it's part of properly admonishing this person. But it's only if it's completely irrelevant, then you have a problem. Uh, lest the people who hear you will reproach you and then and call you a motzidiba, somebody who is letting out negative information about people to no valid purpose, and then it'll backfire. Instead of you helping this person become better or learn their lesson, you will earn a negative reputation and a bad name. Like golden apples, now the JPS English has like golden ap- apples in silver showpieces. Uh, and then the JPS notes that the meaning is uncertain. In silver showpieces is a phrase well turned. Rashi understands the golden apples to be the, the that you did not, you've sort of put kaftorim, bells or buttons like in the menorah, you put additional pieces onto maskiot kesef, onto the the silver show pieces, onto vessels or decorative pieces that are covered in silver, and that would be like something spoken in the right way. I only note that Rashi because it is different than the Rambam famously and the Radak also understood the Pasuk to be a reference to esotericism because they understood it to be golden apples with platings of silver that's a that when you speak properly and appropriately we've spoken about esotericism when you speak properly and appropriately ordinary people will see it as a silver they'll get the silver aspect of it and then if they can understand it really well they'll get to the golden underneath and that's where the Roman thought really wise people tended to speak they spoke in ways that ordinary people would understand the silver message, the lesser message, and then if you thought about it more and more, you would get the golden message. Rashi doesn't go that way, because Rashi has the gold as being sort of attached onto the silver. So it's just a nice thing that when you speak properly and appropriately for Rashi, it's just sort of like decorative, that it be spoken in the exact proper right way. Nezim zahav v'chalikatem chacham al ozen shoma'an. So it's like a ring of gold, a golden ornament, is a wise man's reproof 
in a receptive ear because if you speak to the right people, so then it's a wonderful thing, right? You have to pick and choose to whom we need to pick and choose to whom we give our admonishments. And if it's somebody who's going to listen and pay attention and grow from it, then it's a beautiful, beautiful addition to life. Like the cold of the snow on a summer's day, that's like a a faithful representative, a faithful messenger for his those who sent him, and that he will revive the soul of his sender. Meaning, if I have a task that needs to get done, and I find somebody to do it for me, and he does it properly and appropriately, it is refreshing and rejuvenating. Rashi notes just perhaps some of his farming life coming out that uh, he says is like cold on a summer's day, as like the cold of snow on a summer's day when we're very very hot. It's like those old commercials that say, the Coke commercials, I think they were, that tell me these moments of summer to bring you some moments of winter. So there they want the memory of the cold to be helpful. I say the actual cold is pleasant on a summer's day, but not the cold, but not the snow itself, he says, because the snow at the time of the harvest will destroy the crops. It's not good. So I think also too much cold at the time of the harvest isn't good for the crops. So Rashi apparently thinks that there's a level of cold that won't kill the finished produce, but will rejuvenate people. And so too, Fulfilling one's messengership would be like that. If you have clouds and winds and there's no rain, that's like a person who promises tzedakah, who promises tzedakah, but then doesn't uh, ever give it. He makes a big donation, he announces a big donation, doesn't ever give it because the poor people are looking for it. Just like when it gets cloudy, and the wind starts to blow, people look for the rain, and the rain can be very rejuvenating and very important, and yet it doesn't come, so it's disappointing, it's like a false alarm. So too, the poor people will be uh, longing for those gifts because they need them, and this promise, the person has promised them, and they it never comes. And therefore it's worse, in other words, than just not giving. Because here you've raised false hopes and and upset people, and that's worse. With, uh, through forbearance, a ruler may be won over, a gentle tongue can break bones. So, in the general sense, it's just a real thing about rulers. But Rashi applies it to Hashem, that while Hashem is being marich af, is not yet punishing us, even though we've done wrong things, so sinners should think of ways and realize that if they just do tshuva, they can win Hashem over. And then Lashon Raka, what's a soft tongue? would mean with prayer and supplication. Tishbar. So now what will it break? Right? The Pazik says, uh, Tishbar Gar can break bones. What are those bones? Rashi says, those are the Gzerot. Koshi Gzerot. The evil Gzerot that Hashem, or the negative Gzerot, the negative decrees that Hashem has made against us for our sins, can be broken by this Tfilan Tachronim if we just put our minds to making sure to do it. Pasuk Tadzayin. Dvash Matzata Echol Dayacha Pentis Ba'enu Vahaketo. If you find uh, honey, eat as much as as you can, as much as is reasonable for you. Pentis Ba'enu, lest you get too full of it, and then you will vomit it out. Pasuk Tadzayin is connected for Rashi. Okerag Lachan Beit Ve'acha Pentis Ba'acha Vesusneacha. So just like when you get to Something that's very, very sweet and pleasant. You have to make sure not to eat too much of it because you might get sick of it. So too, when you have a friend, you should make sure not to overstay your welcome and you should not to be there too often because you get there too often, he gets too familiar with you and then, so too, might feel the need to vomit you out. And then Rashi quotes a medrash that says, 
don't be accustomed to sin bishogeg. So if you sin bishogeg, let's say in Shemirat Shabbat, you have to bring a katat, uh, you have to bring a korban to Hashem, and then you have to be in Beit Reacha, you have to be in the Beit HaMikdash often, so you should make sure not, at least in those terms, for those reasons, be in the Beit HaMikdash too much, because Hashem will get tired of that, meaning you sin bishogeg one time, two times, so it's real shogeg. After a while, one begins to suspect that there's not so much shkaga here. It's not so accidental that one is viol- that the person is violating all of these all of these sins. So it's like weapons, like a club, a sword, a sharpened arrow. Is a man who testifies falsely against his fellow, meaning you just say, "Well, I'm just speaking," but it's as if you are picking up weapons of destruction, weapons of of hurt. And bearing them against this person, that's what it's like. Shein ro'ev, eregel mu'eden, miftach bogein v'yom tzara. Like a loose tooth and an unsteady leg is a treacherous support in times of trouble. Meaning, if you try to bite into something and you have a, a tooth that's loose, or if you try to stand up and your legs aren't going to support you, so too is if you have somebody who you had learned to trust and were supposed to trust and who doesn't stand up for you, it'll be the same kind of thing if he's mechazebo, if he disappoints you at your time of need, it's just like that. So you should be careful, I think, is the point about whom we trust and whom we rely on for support to make sure that they will indeed be there for us in our times of need. So Rashi says is a garment, is a piece of clothing which is all torn or worn out. So you should take it off because if you wear it on cold days, it'll be just like chometz al netter. So netter is a kind of soft earth. We tend to translate chometz as natron, which I think is like the Na of of salt, of sodium chloride. It's like a soap they used to use, but it's a kind of soft uh, soft earth. Rashi says, and if you put vinegar on it, so what you could do with it is you can make things with it. Rashi says you could engrave it and make things or shape it into pots and pans into things. And if you put vinegar on it, then it ruins it, it, it softens it, and it, it just destroys it. So too, Rashi, Shabashiri means literally, so you sing songs on an evil heart. So Rashi reads it as, rasha. If you teach Torah to a Talmud who's a Rasha, who is evil, and how does he define evil here? Asher ein belibo likaimah, does not have it in his heart to observe it. So I note that because I think it's an interesting and important question that we don't even bother to ask ourselves anymore. I teach in a school, for example, where many of the students, at least currently, do not intend to observe what they're being taught. Uh, and I think that if you just look at the history of the school where I teach, but many, many schools, that many of the students who come out went in not planning really to observe very much and coming out and come out not planning to observe very much. Now, that's some failure of the school, but some not because they come from a family where that wasn't true and they didn't happen to catch on to them. But Rashi here at least seems to be saying that Mishle seems to be saying that it's a it's a it's a foolish endeavor or it's a wrongful endeavor, or it's a mistaken endeavor and it's really like wearing clothing with holes in it on a cold day, it's going to let the cold in and it's going to it's going to be, it's going to not work out well, or it's going to ruin things. It's going to be even worse, meaning like it's putting vinegar on this nature, and so you're going to have this thing that you've shaped and made and engraved out of out of this uh, net there, and you're going to have made it, and then the vinegar falls on it. 
So that question of who we choose to teach and we don't choose to teach is one that we just assume, well, teach whoever is willing to pay the money and is willing to come, but I think that that's a question worth revisiting. To some extent we say, well, these aren't Rishayim because they're Tinukot Shinishbu, because we treat them and we deal with them as if they don't really understand what Judaism is all about, and if only we can show them the beauty of Judaism, they would come to understand it, and that's true in many, many cases. On the other hand, if they have no intention of learning it, and they're really just there to get the degree and to avoid going to public school, so then there's some issue there. I think I think Mishnah here is pointing out there's some issue there, and I certainly have a personal question about these kinds of issues, and that comes out in this passage. If your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him water. Because you are throwing coals on his head, and Hashem will pay you back. So, the first version Rashi has is that it's literal. Right? You should just do this. And, and, uh, and it's like, and it's really like coals on his head because he's annoyed by it. Because he's, it shows that, A, it shows that you have more than him. B, it shows that you're nicer than him, that even though they're your enemies in his time of trouble, you're willing to help him. And then Rashi reads the words of Hashem Yishalem Lach, the Pesach of Bet, that Hashem will pay you back. Rashi says it's not pay you back as Yishalem, as it will pay you money. It's Yishalem Lach, make him, make peace with you. But Rashi doesn't make it mean like he has to make, like he'll be friends with you. Hashem says, He won't have the ability to be stronger than you. So this is a way sort of to protect yourself against him, just by treating him nicely in the image in my mind. That comes in is, and perhaps because in the news this week, the Palestinians had said they were going to stop using Israeli hospitals, but the whole image of the Israelis taking in Palestinian wounded and sick and treating them in the hospitals better than whatever the Palestinians have, this would be an example of that. But then Rashi also throws in, it's not only about literally your enemies, he says it's Kamash Ma'o, but he says also, on the evil inclination, that if the Yetzir is hungry, draw yourself, so now, Achilleu lechem usually means give him the bread that he's hungry for. But in this case, it's take him to the baby drash and study Torah, give him the bread of Torah or the water of Torah, and that will help you overcome you. So in that case, then, the enemy doesn't want the bread that you're giving him, isn't it? Just that bread. He was hungry for sin, and we're going to give him a different bread, and that'll be like coals on his head, but Hashem will help that you will win out anyway. So that's a slightly different reading of the psukim, that it's not that you treat him nicely, it's that you then find a way to overcome him by giving him a different kind of lechem. Pasuk of Gimel Ruach, Tzafon techolel gashem ufanim nizamim, Lashon Sater, a north wind produces rain, and whispering words, a glowering face. So, the first part we understand, it's a statement that in when there's a north wind, there tends to be rain, it tends to be a sign of rain, but panim nizamim, Cause lashon sate. Rashi says it's lashon haram, and that so Rashi reads it the other way around. Panim nizamim lashon sate. He reads it as the lashon sate giving out lashon hara causes panim nizamim. Right, which is the way the English had it as well. That the whispering words, but whispering here doesn't mean that they're whispered. It means that it's lashon hara. It's evil. It's gossip. It's slander. Will cause Hashem, Hashem's face, as it were, metaphorical face. To be angry that, that you'll get punished. So, the, but the point of the puzzle then is to draw that connection as almost a physical one. Just like the north wind produces rain, so too the shonhara produces anger on the part of Hashem. Better in the literal translation 
dwelling in the corner of a roof is better than a contentious woman in a spacious house, although those words spacious house, Beit Chaver, it's not clear why that was, what the word, that means spacious, but literally it would seem to mean that if you, if there's strife in the house, it's unpleasant even if the house is very, very large, whereas if you sit in the corner of a roof, uh, but everybody's happy with everybody, it's much, much better. Rashi reads it though, I mean, Rashi doesn't read it against that, but Rashi reads, adds that he thinks it's talking about Siluk HaShchina, when the Divine Presence left the Beit HaMikdash. So when Bnei Israel, what well, was a Beit Chaver, they brought friends, right, Chaver in that sense, into the Beit HaMikdash, they brought uh, Gilulim, they brought idols, and they brought other worships, and they made them partners to Hashem, which has happened in the time of the first Beit HaMikdash for sure, so that was, Hashem would say, well, better for me to go to the corner of a roof, means to remove my presence from the house. So in Rashi's reading, at least, this isn't so much advice about how we should live our lives or about our marital lives and the way to handle them. It is more a reflection on how we can ruin our relationship with Hashem and destroy that house that we once upon a time had. That's the version that Rashi, that's the issue that Rashi chooses to focus on in this context. The cold water to a parched throat is good news from a distant land. So cold water revives the tired soul, the, the worn out soul, according to Rashi. And so too is good news. And Rashi gives an example from Chumash that when Yaakov Avinu hears that Yosef is still alive, the Pasuk says, Vatechi Ruach Yaakov Avinu. So Rashi just takes it very literally, saying that the similar effect that cold water has for somebody who's thirsty is good news to somebody whose soul is tired and Worn out. A muddy, like a muddy spring, a ruined fountain is a righteous man fallen before a wicked run. So Mayan near Pashri says it's like a churbarak lime that people have kicked up the mud from the bottom so that the, it's now full of mud. So, what is the definition of a tzaddik who is mat, who is falling before a wicked one? We might have thought that the wicked one is in control of him, but Rashi just is going further than that. Rashi is saying, no. Just the fact that the tzaddik doesn't have the ability to be mochiach, is afraid to give admonishment, so that in and of itself is going to be as heated as these muddied uh, springs or or ruined fountains. People will hate the ruined fountains because the water is ruined. So too, in the case where the tzaddikim cannot give the proper admonishment, that will be a terrible situation like that. So matatim rasha here doesn't mean the rashim have control of the tzaddikim so much as the tzaddikim can't just guarantee that the society go in the proper way and they can't give the admonishment they would like to. This comes back to the earlier theme. It's not good to eat too much honey. Nor is it honorable, the JPS English has, nor is it honorable to search for honor. V'cheker kvodam kavod, Rashi has it the other way around. V'cheker kvodam ledoreh, so he says, Echol dvash yotem yidai, Rashi says the reference back to trying to understand Maaseb Reshit and Maaseb Merkava too deeply and to reveal it to the public and to those ammei ha'aretz who would be milag legim aladavim, who would mock the issues. Whereas, looking to the Xerot of Chachamim and trying to understand the words of Chachamim, which I think are more amenable to human logic, as I said before, so that would produce real kavod to explain why they made these Xerot and why they made these boundaries around the Torah. That produces true honor, and therefore that's where one should um, place one's greater efforts. Like a city that's open, has no wall, is a man who can't 
control himself, who can't control his spirit, who can't control his desires. So in some total in this parak, Rashi said many things because the parak says many things, but among those many things, Rashi seemed to focus on the issue of what kinds of things we reveal to the public, what kinds of issues people are able to understand and what kinds we have to cover over. And then also issues of who is it we're supposed to include in our society, who is it we're supposed to exclude, to whom we give admonishment, what kind of a social culture is there in terms of who can accept admonishment, who can give admonishment, how much power Zadikim have to try to help everybody improve themselves. And those are certainly, I think, and then also our relationship with Hashem and how all this affects it. Do we turn to Hashem when we need to do tshuva when the gzira has not been, has not come around yet, or do we let it slide? All these issues that came up in today's barrack. Have a great day.